Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. Verse 31, Luke 13, 31. So we believe at at Seneca Baptist Church that, uh, that God's Word is timeless. God's Word is perfect. Are you with me, church family? Perfect. That, that God's Word was poignant for people a couple thousand years ago, and it's poignant for people today. And so, I'm really thankful for God's Word, and in it I find hope every day, no matter what, no matter what's going on. So, uh, today... There are many of us in here who, if we acknowledge it, we feel heavy. Um, and and I, I'm not preaching on politics, don't hear me to say that, um, but I've been called the shepherd people, okay? And so if you're a guest with us, we are so thankful that you're here, and, and, um, but, but I might or might not be speaking to you today. Uh, but the people that, that I know who uh, are a part of our, our flock here at Seneca Baptist Church, I, I, I know how many of them feel. Uh, and so there's a lot of people in this room tonight that, that, or today that feel like they've experienced loss this week. They're grieving over something. Like we've lost a loved one in a sense. Um, and I don't mean a specific person, I just mean we, we feel a grief in our hearts over the state of our country. Um, and if you're a Clemson fan, your grief has doubled. <laughs> I'm sorry for your loss. Uh, but, so, so I'm just, I want to speak to you as a shepherd uh, who loves you, and that's why I'm I'll be speaking the way that I'm speaking today, and, and I believe God's Word is so good, because months and months and months ago, I, I knew what I'd be speaking on November the 8th, but the Lord knew what would be happening on November the 8th, and, uh, and His Word's good to us, and so uh, would you open it? And, and I'm going to ask you to stand one more time to honor the reading of God's Word. Would you stand with me? I'm reading in verse 31. At, the very, at that very hour, there's a connection to the last passage, which we'll see in a minute. At that very hour, some of the Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Verse 32, and he told them, Go and tell that fox. I love Jesus. You go, you go and tell that fox. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow and the third day, and I, I finish my course. Verse 33. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be 
that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, you know our hearts. You know right where we are. You know those in this room who trust in Jesus. You know those who in this room think that this is a bunch of hooey. You you know it. You know people. You know our hearts. We can't fool you. And I'm grateful for that. My prayer is that right now, I would be hidden behind your cross. You would speak loudly and clearly and comfort your people. Father, we do feel like we have lost a loved one. We feel like we're grieving. But I remember your Bible that says weeping may last for the night, but joy, it comes in the morning. And Father, we want to see the sun rise today through your word to bring us joy. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Please be seated. At that very hour, he says, some Pharisees came and said to him, Well, what in the world just happened? So we see the connection, the connection that Luke's making between this passage that I'm preaching today and the last passage that I preached last week, which is um, how it's about a narrow door. A narrow door. Somebody comes and says, Jesus, are those who are going to be saved, will they be few? And Jesus answers, the door is narrow. Strive to enter the narrow door. I'm not going to talk about that much. You can go back and listen last week. But um, this is what happens. At that very hour, after preaching about a narrow door, some Pharisees come to to Jesus and they, they say, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Now here's what I'm not sure. Uh, Luke often portrays all Pharisees are bad. There aren't many good Pharisees. Now, we know that's probably not the case because there's a guy named Nicodemus, right, who was a Pharisee um, who was seeking Jesus. And we know that other Pharisees later on came to know Jesus, like Paul. That's a pretty big name in the Bible. And so not all Pharisees are bad. So we're not sure if these Pharisees are coming in goodwill, saying, Jesus, really, be careful Herod wants to kill you, or there is something under the surface that we can't see because we're reading, and maybe there's some kind of ill will and ill motive of these Pharisees using Herod to get what they want. Are you with me, church? You with me? But anyways, you need to get away from here because Herod wants to kill you. Some commentators believe that these Pharisees are really trying to care for Jesus, and other, others believe that there's a mischievous intent in these Pharisees' hearts. And so in this text that I'm preaching through today, I want you to see three themes. Three themes, okay? So if you're taking notes, you can write them down. I'm going to tell you what they are. I'm going to tell you about them, okay? So the first theme is I want you to see God's sovereign plan. The second theme I want you to see in this, in this text today is Jesus' rejection of Jerusalem. Or rejection by Jerusalem. And the third one I want you to see is Jesus teaches his people to lament. Jesus teaches his people to lament. So the first is God's sovereign plan. I want you to hear what is said. Hey, you need to get away from here. 
Pharisees say. We know Jesus is on the road. He's traveling toward Jerusalem. Jesus knows what's in mind. His face is set to Jerusalem, and he's going to Jerusalem. And they say, you need to get away from here because Herod's going to try to kill you. Jesus says this. Look at verse 32. You go tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I finish my course. What's the course that he needs to finish? There's a cross and an empty tomb in Jerusalem with his name on it. And he's got to get there. Right? Amen, somebody. And so he says, on the third day, I'm going to finish my course. He's talking about his death, burial, and resurrection. Today and tomorrow, I'm healing people, performing cures, and casting out demons. But then I'm going to finish my course. It's like the appetizer in the salad set up for the main course. And Jesus is saying, this is setting up for the main course to be dished out on the day where I'm crucified and the day where I'm resurrected. I want you to look at what he says. Verse 33. Nevertheless, I must go on. Did you see that? I must go. I must go on. That Greek word is the preposition day. It means it is necessary. It is necessary for me to go on. And then he says, he continues on. He says, I must go my way today and tomorrow and the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. It cannot be. I want you to see God has a plan, and that plan is unstoppable. It's unstoppable. I was struggling with what God wanted me to say to you guys. And I was praying, and I believe He said this exact thing to me. No one, listen to me, church family, no one, nothing, can thwart the sovereign plan of God. No one. Nothing. You go tell that fox, I must go on. It cannot be any other way. Do you hear that, church family? Many of us, well, I'll get there in a minute. In this passage, there's a crafty, and destructive political leader and some sneaky religious ones trying to snuff Jesus out. But God will move in such a way to accomplish all of His good purposes. Nothing can stop our God. I just said it. I don't know that you believe it yet. Nothing can stop God's sovereign plan. A political leader in Jesus' day could not stop Jesus from accomplishing His purpose. And a political leader in our day, whether we voted for Him or did not vote for Him, cannot stop God's sovereign purpose today. Herod thought that he would silence Jesus by killing him. Well, we know that's not the case, don't we? In that moment, God's sovereign plan was to use Herod's evil intent to accomplish the greatest good 
nothing can stop our God. God will do the same thing in our generation that he did in that generation. He will use whoever he needs to use to accomplish his sovereign plan. And whether somebody worships Jesus, loves Jesus, and follows Jesus, he will use them. And whether somebody does not worship Jesus, love Jesus, or follow Jesus, maybe they even hate Jesus, despise Jesus, and want to smush Jesus, he'll use them too. Why? Because God, our God, is God. That's what it means for him to be God. If anything could thwart the sovereign plan of God, God would cease to be sovereign and God all in the same moment. But God is sovereign. He is so much bigger than the box that we try to fit him into. And we say to ourselves, church, listen to me, if so-and-so doesn't get in the office, or if so-and-so does get in the office, oh, we're in trouble. Maybe, but God's plan will be accomplished. And we can trust that. We can trust that God will accomplish His plan. I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know what the next four years, the next four decades are going to look like. I have a feeling it's not going to be good. Not just the next four years. But Jesus says, in the end times, the love of many will grow cold. Lawlessness will increase, right? We know it's not going to get better before Jesus returns. We know it's not. I don't know what it's going to look like, uh, but I do claim God's promises. I claim them. And let me tell you what I mean by that. In Genesis chapter uh, 50, there's this guy named Joseph who is sold into slavery by his brothers. And after um, years of being in slavery uh, and in jail... He rises to the second in command over Egypt. And God begins to teach Joseph what he was really doing in the prison cell was rising him to power. He just couldn't see it then. And this is what Joseph says to his brothers who sold him to slavery. He says, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Aren't you thankful that there is evil abounding in the world today, but God is going to use the evil to accomplish His good purpose. Two times in Genesis chapter 4, 45, Joseph says, no, it wasn't you who sent me here, but God sent me ahead of you. I claim Romans eight twenty eight says that and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. He's going to use it for good. Now here's what I need to say to my people today. Some of us have proven that we really don't believe that Jesus is Lord. Because we're panicking. Let me tell you what God's not doing. Pacing the floors of heaven. Oh no. They botched it up again. What are we going to do? Huddle. 
God is seated on His throne. Check your hearts, folks. I voted probably very similarly to the way that most of you voted. But I know who my Lord is. And I will pray for my president if that's what happens. If Vice President Biden becomes President Biden, I will pray for him. Now you're just meddling. No. I know where my treasure is. I know who put him there. God is sovereign. He's got a plan. And I don't know if you know this about you, like I know it about me, But God and I, see, we don't always think the same. A.W. Tozer says it this way. He says, while it looks like things are out of control, behind behind the scenes there is a God who has not surrendered his authority. Isn't that good news? So take heart, my friends and my family, my brothers, my sisters. Take heart. Have faith in God. There's no panic happening in the throne room of heaven. And if Jesus is on the throne of your heart, Panic should not be ensuing in you either. I'm not asking you to like it or agree with it. Who knows what's going to happen this week? I sure don't. That's probably the hardest thing. Just a bunch of not knowing. But I know who knows. And I trust in him. Jesus says, no, it's necessary that I go to Jerusalem. Nobody can stop me from that. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. It's necessary. Cannot be. And God says the same. Can we just, I want to stop right now. My sermon's not done, by the way, so please don't be surprised when I start preaching again. But I just want to stop and pray for a moment. Can we stop and pray and thank God that He has not surrendered His authority? Can we pray and thank God that He's still on the throne? And can we maybe ask for forgiveness from God for letting an election tear us up? Can we pray and ask for God to recenter our thoughts on Him? Can we do that right now? Would you join me? Father, I confess that over the last five or six months, I've just been in some terrible places spiritually because of what's happening politically in my country. 
And I confess, Father, that it is revealed about my heart that there are other things that are Lord of my life. But I come to you right now in this moment, Lord, and I, I, I praise you. I praise you that you are seated on your throne, that you are resting, ruling, reigning from on high, and there's nothing that can thwart your sovereign plan. It will be accomplished, and at the end of my days, I will rejoice in what you did. Even though right now, I grieve over it. It seems a loss to me now, but on, when I get to heaven, and when I'm able to look back and see with 2020 perspective, I will say, if that's what it took to get me here, it was worth it. So thank you that you're good sovereign and your plan will be accomplished and help your people to trust in a heavenly throne rather than one in the White House. Give your people peace, calm, and a blessed assurance in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. The second thing that you see in this passage is how Jesus is rejected by Jerusalem. Okay, I want you to look at verse 34. He says, verse 33 ends with, A prophet should not perish. It cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. And then he says in verse 34, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. I want you to understand what Jesus is saying about himself here in this passage. He's saying that I'm a prophet sent from God. I'm the one who has been sent to Jerusalem to speak to Jerusalem on behalf of Almighty God. And it's going to be that they're going to reject me. And there I will follow in the trail of many many prophets who have died before me. Do you know that from the Temple Mount, you could look over the eastern wall of the Temple Mount and you could see the tomb of Zechariah, who was killed by religious leaders in the very sanctuary of the altar, or a a sanctuary of the temple. And it's funny how uh, the very ones that killed him then venerated him later. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. There have been prophets who were sent to you, Israel, and you killed them. You stoned them. And you stoned God's very messengers. The guy named Leonard Ravenhill. Do you know who that is? Leonard Ravenhill, great preacher of the uh, 40s, 50s, 60s. He was palling around with Tozer and C.S. Lewis. But Leonard Ravenhill, man, he's a sharp fellow. He says this, the prophet in his day is fully accepted by God and totally rejected by men. Jesus is calling himself a prophet. And he's saying that I as a prophet will follow in the way of prophets and I will be killed and reje- or rejected and killed in Jerusalem. He is the prophet who is sent by God to his people and speaks for God to the people. Jesus is not just a prophet, he is the ultimate prophet of God. He is sent by God, he is God, and he speaks as God. 
Jesus one time was asked a question. He says, I think it was Philip said, show us the Father. One of the disciples, show us the Father. Jesus responds to them and he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, I think we might have this up on the screen here. Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 15. God gives Moses a promise. And he says this. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. So God is saying to Moses to give to the people. Because Moses was the great prophet of God in the Old Testament. And he says, I'm going to raise up a prophet for Israel like Moses. He says... It's to him you shall listen. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will acquire it of him. God is promising through Moses to Israel a prophet like Moses who knew him face to face and he would be the last and ultimate prophet of God who would speak for God because he is God and if you, you would do well to listen to him and it will be dangerous to reject him. In Luke chapter 9 verse 36 there's the, or 34 to 36 there's the, the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus goes up the mount and he takes... Peter, James, and John up the mount with them. A cloud overshadows them. And they see uh, in these, this moment Moses and Elijah and Jesus all on top of the mountain having a conversation. And Jesus is talking about the exodus that he's about to accomplish in Jerusalem. It's an incredible passage. He's talking about the exodus he's about to accomplish in Jerusalem. And Peter, because we got to love Peter because he's like us, Right? Peter says, hey, it's good that we're here. I'm going to build a little booth for each one of you. The voice over, or the, the cloud overshadows them. A voice comes down from heaven. He says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And when the cloud parted and they opened their eyes, Jesus was left alone. See, Jesus is the prophet who was sent from God, who is God. He is the Word of God. And whoever receives Jesus as God's Son, God will receive that person into His family as children. See, He says a prophet can't perish away from Jerusalem. They can't. And He says, I'm a prophet. It's my destiny to perish in Jerusalem. And then He says this, Verse 34 continues, how often, I'm in Luke 13, 34, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Have you ever seen that picture before? We're, we're chicken people at the Perry house and uh, we have chickens. We got 18 chickens right now. My wife has a problem. It's a problem. 18 chickens in a neighborhood. In a neighborhood. And uh, one of our chickens called Sneaky just had uh, four chicks. Man, they're cute. But what's incredible is how the Bible comes to life on the Perry family homestead, okay? Because what we saw in the days following uh, the birth of these chicks or the hatching of these chicks is, is how on cool nights, 
the chicks would come underneath mama's wings. And how uh, they would they would just rest there. They were safe under her wings. Oh man, it's so cute. There was warmth there. Protection. Even when they would go out, we'd let them out and they'd kind of wander around the yard. If there was any sign of danger, where would they go running? Under the shelter of mama's wings. It was amazing. And do you hear what Jesus is inviting Israel into? And do you hear what he's inviting you and me into? Come under my wings. He, Jesus is saying what Psalm 91 says. In Psalm 91 it talks about how the, the Father will spread His wings out over His people and they will come under and they will find protection and provision and care. And Jesus is, is, he says, how often I wanted to call you to myself because if you come under me, I'll protect you. I will save you from danger. I will provide for you. I will care for you. Isn't that exactly what the cross is intended to do? To save us from sin. And Jesus says, come under me. Listen, friends and family, it's time to come under the wings of Jesus. He's inviting you in. It's dangerous out here, but come under His wings. He's inviting you in. You know, the problem with us is we're a lot like Israel. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often would I have gathered you together, but you weren't willing? There's the invitation. Come under. I got everything you need right here. And we go, no, nah, I'm okay out here. And that's exactly what they said to Jesus. Man, and I just need you to understand. There's, there is a cost for continually rejecting the invitation of Jesus to come under. And this is what he says in verse 35. Behold, your house is forsaken. Your house is forsaken. Jesus is almost word for word quoting the prophet Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 20, 12 verse 7 it says, I have forsaken my house. Do we have that on the screen? Jeremiah 12 7, I have forsaken my house. I have abandoned my heritage. I have given the beloved of my soul into the hands of enemies. You say, Why? Well, that's a great question. Jeremiah answers it in 22. It says, For if you will indeed obey this word, then there shall enter the gates of this house kings who sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their servants and their people. But if you will not obey these words, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. There is a cost for continually rejecting the invitation of Jesus. We see it in Israel and we see it in our country. There is a cost when our nation rejects their God. He says, in many nations 
will pass by this city, and every man will say to his neighbor, Why has the Lord dealt thus with this great city? And they will answer, Because they've forsaken the covenant of the Lord their God and worshipped other gods and served them. Could it be that we as a nation are getting what we've asked for? That's what happens in Romans 1. He gave them over to the lusts of their flesh. The lusts of their hearts. And that's what you want. I'll give, it, I'll give you a taste of what you want. Without my protection. It says, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who come in the, comes in the name of the Lord. Does that sound familiar? Did we just sing that? We're just saying it. And, and he, there he's, he's talking about the triumphal entry in the second coming. The triumphal entry, people will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And guess what? When Jesus breaks that eastern sky and the trumpets sound, I tell you what, there will be people who say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Third, third thing I want you to see is Jesus teaches his people to lament. I mean, I, that's what my, the little title of my section says, Jesus laments over Jerusalem. Lamenting is a fancy word for grieving. It's, that's what you wouldn't want to call your grief if you want to be fancy. I'm lamenting. And he teaches his people to lament. And uh, did you know that in the Bible, there's actually a whole book called Lamentations? God grieves. God grieves. He does. It's five chapters long. Somebody asked, why isn't it longer? I guess God was done lamenting. I don't know. It's five chapters long. Each is made up, or the, the book is made up of five poems. Each one is an expression of grief over the fall of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. Each one is. And so the, the book of Lamentations is like a eulogy at a funeral. They're intended to mourn a loss. And in this case, in the case of the book of Lamentations, they're to mourn the loss of a nation. Tell me, does that sound similar to what we're experiencing? Jesus is teaching his people to lament. He, Lamentations is lamenting the fall of uh, Jerusalem or Israel under captivity to the Assyrians and the Babylonians in the 500s BC and now Jesus is mourning the or lamenting the upcoming fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD when the temple would be destroyed and every stone would be torn off of the other one because of the gold in between where everything in Jerusalem would be taken down This is exactly what Jesus is doing here. Lamenting over a nation that has rejected their God, their King, and now their Messiah. Listen, God's people need to learn to lament. We need to learn how to grieve in a godly fashion. See, Lamentations chapter 3 teaches us there's a purpose behind the sorrow and the suffering. The purpose was to produce a hope in a God who cannot fail, 
to trust that there's a God whose plans cannot be thwarted, and to remind us that our treasure is not an earthly treasure, but a heavenly treasure. This is what Lamentations chapter 3, verse 19 to 24 says. He says, Remember my affliction and my wonderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down with me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Listen, church, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. God's church needs to learn to grieve and to lament our nation. And as I close, I just want you to be aware that grieving should not bring us to bitterness. There's a difference. If you're watching on Facebook, if you're if you're seeing me right here, understand the grief that God wants to give us. The lament that Jesus has is not a bitter lament. It's, it's not, there's no anger inside it. If, it's got, if your lament over your nation has bitterness toward people or processes, I just need you to know it's not a godly grief or lament. Rather, Christian grief produces hope in the one who cannot fail. Christian lament compares the fleeting securities that, are, that the world can offer with the eternal, unshakable security of the promises of God our Savior. We need to learn to lament, and many of us aren't lamenting. We are throwing a temper tantrum in aisle two of Walmart. And we need to knock it off. You should lament But Facebook or social media is not the place for you to lament. The prayer closet is. The altar is. You want to know why our church sometimes feels so dead? It's because the altar is not wet with the tears of those who should be lamenting over lost people. We have lost the gift of lamenting. Our lament should help us to put down our weapons and pray. Our lament that Jesus is causing in us should cause us to treasure Jesus above all things. It's okay to lament for your nation. Because we have, like Israel, rejected God, His eternal truths, and His Messiah. God's sovereign, His plan will be accomplished. Trust Him. Church family, trust Him. We're going to sing... A song right now that's very familiar. And I'm going to ask Mr. Tom, Miss Margaret to come and lead us. And it 
is a song based on Lamentations chapter 3 that you know very well. Great is thy faithfulness. O God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness. Lord, unto me. Church family, I'm asking us to stand and sing and let these words resonate in our hearts as we learn to trust God again in the midst.